Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. This morning we're going to read from 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 to 9. Essentially, this passage is Paul's version of a give big preach, so I thought I'd I'd just use it. Um, So he is preaching to the Corinthian Christians, and he's writing here about other churches that he's experienced and seen in in a place called Macedonia and their example in giving. He's trying to motivate the Corinthian church to be generous, and basically there is so much that we can learn from Paul's observations about these Macedonian Christians, not only about giving, but about the state of our hearts as well. So we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. It says, Generosity encouraged. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge in complete earnestness and in your love for us. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So firstly, this passage tells us that our giving doesn't actually come from us. Um, It's a response to what we've been given by God. And then because of this, we do two things. Firstly, we give ourselves wholeheartedly to God. And then secondly, like the Macedonians did, we prioritise giving to the poor. We had our um, CCM day last Sunday, which is basically a Sunday in the year where we all come together, all of the sites across CCM. Uh, We come together to worship, listen to a fantastic preach, and we get to see what's going on across all the different sites. And it was just, yeah, it was a fantastic time last week. And I was serving on the kids team in the creche, uh, and I actually found myself uh, mediating a fight between two toddlers. I won't name any names. Um, But one toddler had decided that all of the toys in this box belonged to her, and that her friend could not have a go on any of them. And when I started to suggest that maybe after a while she give him a go with some of the toys, and I tried that classic counting down from ten method, she just looked absolutely disgusted at me, like I'd completely betrayed her trust, and then started doing this kind of scream-crying thing that went on for a while. And she highlighted here a very true and real attitude, I think, that a lot of us have as humans, that comes quite naturally to us. The idea that our stuff is our stuff. It belongs to us. She used this phrase, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, over and over again. We all have this very profound sense of what belongs to us. I remember only a few years ago, before going away on my year abroad, I labelled some of my um, very precious items of clothing that I wasn't going to be taking, um, because I have a certain sister, not you, Annie, (laughs) who who sometimes steals my clothes. So I didn't want them to mysteriously be missing when when I got home. 
The first thing I think we can see that's clear in our passage this morning is that this group of Macedonian Christians understood that what they had came from God. It wasn't theirs in the first place, so they had so much freedom to give away. It says in verse 2 and verse 3, Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. These Christians that Paul's making an example out of understand the fact that everything they had already belonged to God. They don't even have that much at all and they were living through a financial crisis yet they gave what they had away. When we have this attitude of that toddler that I was looking after last week, dealing with our money actually becomes quite stressful. When we believe that our money is all ours, we're tempted to hoard it, hold tightly onto it and we stress about having enough. Tim Keller, who's a a preacher and kind of theologian and writer, he said, if you have money, power and status today, it is due to the century and place in which you were born, to your talents and capacities and health, none of which you earned. In short, all of your resources are in the end the gift of God. So when we recognise that everything we own, even our skills and talents and abilities uh, that have enabled us to earn the money that we have belong to God, we are actually set free. A few years ago, when I was preparing to go on this year abroad, um, I was raising money for it because I I went to volunteer for a mission charity, so I wasn't going to be getting paid. Um, And so they had a lot of fees and deadlines that I had to meet uh, for these fees to be paid. And around the time of one of the deadlines, I was £500 short of what I needed, and I started to get quite stressed because I just wasn't sure I was going to come up with this money. And that week, I went to CCM, and I met a visitor who'd only been to CCM twice. This was just her second time there. I didn't know her very well at all. And we started to speak a bit about what we were doing in life generally. Uh, And I told her that I was preparing to go away on a year abroad. And that was kind of all I said. A couple of days later, she messaged me um, asking if she could pop by my house that day, which I thought was quite weird because I didn't really know her. Um, But I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, And when she arrived, she just said, I can't stay long. I just wanted to give you this and then just cycled off. And it was an envelope with £500 in it. And she told me that she'd received this bonus at work and felt as though God had prompted her to give it to me, even though she had no idea why. This girl basically understood that her money wasn't simply hers to hoard and do with whatever she pleased. She had a habit of asking God, what do you want me to do with this money that's come in? When we become takers and hoarders, instead of people who freely give and share their resources, we begin to make money our God. And I think it's for this very reason that Jesus didn't shy away from talking about money. He actually talked more about money than he talked about heaven or hell or any other topic whilst he was on earth. In fact, half of all of the parables that Jesus told are about money. Why is this? Because Jesus knew that money can dominate our lives and money influences our lives either for good or for bad. It can be used for good things or it can be used for bad things. But this church in Macedonia recognised money for what it was, a lot like my friend did when she gave me that money. They saw money as a gift from God and a resource, a tool which they were called to use. I've certainly been challenged in this area in recent months. A few months ago, I got a tax rebate, which is a lovely experience um, if you've ever had one. So basically, receive a lump of money from the government um, because they'd overtaxed me. But as I reflected on this time, I was kind of challenged to think about the lens with which I'd kind of looked at that money. I had to ask myself the question, did I look at that money as mine to hoard? Or was I going to look at that money through the lens of, God, this is your money, what do you want me to do with it? As we begin to view money through the lens of, this belongs to God anyway, 
we will see our generosity increase and our joy increase also. In the verses uh, from this passage that we've read, it's, uh, we can also see that even in a situation of financial hardship, this church was overflowing with joy. These Macedonians found joy in giving away, not only because they recognised that everything they had belonged to God, but also because of everything that they'd received in Christ himself. A classic and very well-known verse is John three sixteen, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Out of the overflow of God's love for the world and for his people, he gave what would have been the hardest thing for him to part with, his one and only son. God so loved that he gave. Not only has God given us resources in this life to bless us with and for us to steward well, but ultimately he's given us the best gift ever, Jesus. And this means life with him in eternity. It means we're no longer slaves to our own sin or to the darkness of this world, This gift means that we can find peace and freedom in relationship with God. As our passage says in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus left the riches of heaven to come to earth to act as this bridge between us and God. He did the most costly thing. He gave his own life for us. And the interesting thing about our passage this morning is that every time the word grace is used, it's also referring to the word giving, as the translation in Greek is the same. Uh, so in this, in this verse 9 where it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, these Christians understood what Jesus gave them undeservingly. It was grace. And as a result, their hearts were changed and they were desperate to give. In Matthew 10, verse 8, Jesus instructs his disciples, Freely you've received, freely give. Jesus' invitation to us today is to receive all that he wants to give us and to allow that to make us into people who can freely give. How amazing to be able to live a life of freedom like that. So I think what we can learn also in in Paul's version of, of a Give Big Preach is that he encourages us to give ourselves wholeheartedly to God first. Have you ever met someone who is completely devoted to something? Maybe it's a sport creative hobby, gardening, TikTok, cooking, Instagram. There are so many things that as humans we get fascinated by and we direct all or at least most of our attention towards that one thing. Jessica Hardy is an American Olympic swimmer and when she was asked about her practice time, she said there just aren't enough hours in the day for how much I have to train. Swimmers preparing for the Olympics devote the majority of their time to swimming and living a healthy lifestyle. People who have this level of devotion are all in. They live and breathe their sport. They've given themselves to it. And today we see a similar trait in this Macedonian church that Paul comments on. He's talking here about a church that's doing really well. His heart is moved by this church that he's seen. He's really impressed. And it says in verse 5 that this church exceeded his expectations. It says, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. This church was a group of Christians completely and utterly devoted to God before anything else. They gave themselves over completely to God. I love watching this YouTuber who's um, basically this random American bloke who goes about giving out massive sums of money on the street to strangers and homeless people or in the supermarket. And he'll get to the front of a queue in the supermarket and just turn around and tell everyone that he's going to pay for all of their shopping and these expressions that people have are just mad. These videos get thousands and thousands of views 
And I think that is because he's, he's tapping into something here that actually really resonates with our hearts. God has designed us in his image. God is a generous and loving God. And so what resonates with him, actually deep down, whether we know it or not, resonates with us. When we give ourselves wholly to God, we are transformed a little bit more each time into that likeness of Jesus. So Paul noticed that this church is completely devoted to God first, and out of that devotion, the church became extremely generous. He points out that although the Macedonian Christians were in a great trial of affliction, and although they were in deep poverty, they still gave generously. I wonder how many of us here this morning, when you look at your bank accounts, you're, you're worried about the financial crisis that we have going on at the moment in this country. There's so much fear in our nation surrounding this topic specifically. It's especially easy at the moment to fall into this mindset of fear and frenzy. But the amazing example we can see through this church is that their generosity didn't actually come from being perfect or good enough Christians and trying to do things well in the midst of a financial crisis. They devoted themselves to God first and their actions then flowed out of that. Though this church didn't have much to give, they really wanted to give. They saw it as a privilege to give. It even says in verse 4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. This is kind of hardcore. I don't know about you, but this is not something that I can say I naturally experience, just being desperate to give all the time. For the most part, as humans, our nature is not to be giving, but to be taking. We see it in relationships. Money and greed is actually now the number one cause of divorce nowadays. It's part of our human nature to be takers and not givers. So it's obvious that something really supernatural has happened to this church. They weren't just really good people. They had had an experience of God's love and had been transformed by it. Their generosity was a symptom of something much bigger that had happened to them. So for Paul's standards, the real issue isn't how much money should be given. It's actually giving ourselves to God. I've read a few books by this American woman called Katie Davis Majors, which is the most American name I think I've ever heard. Um, But she's an incredible woman who, when she was about 18, she felt called to leave her very cushy life in America and move to Uganda. And after uh, working with the poor of Uganda there for about five years, she began adopting orphans as a single woman and became a mother to many Ugandan children. Out of this, she then started an orphanage and a whole ministry dedicated to educating and nurturing impoverished kids and showing them the love of God. Now, if that doesn't sound like the most perfect Christian fairy tale mission story ever, I don't know what does. But what I love about her writing is her ability to be so raw about the reality of serving the poor, that it was not easy at all, and actually it cost her a lot. After her ministry started taking off and she got sponsored and had loads of money poured into it, she talks about beginning to fall into this mindset of, uh, maybe God loves me a bit more now that I've done this. It was like the more she gave away to these people, the more she poured out her life sacrificially, the better she felt about herself. But then she writes about a time when God began to get rid of this mindset that she had. She writes, slowly I was beginning to understand that it wasn't my productivity that God desired, it was my heart. It wasn't my ministry that God loved or what I could give away. It was me. God was glorified and is glorified when we give him our hearts, give him ourselves and faithfully do the thing right in front of us, no matter how small or trivial. This is coming from someone who has devoted her whole life to giving to others. And yet she's saying that predominantly God is pleased and glorified when she simply offered him herself. So what does this look like for us, whether this is giving ourselves to God for the first time or in a renewed way? How do we do this? 
I think it starts with surrender, much like this American missionary woman is, is talking about in her quote. She came to a place of realising her real worth and value didn't come from what she did for God, but the fact that God had created her. So she began to surrender to this truth. When we come before God and say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I'm sinful and I need your help. I need your grace. We begin to give ourselves over to God wholeheartedly. When we wake up in the morning and focus our minds on who God is, we we begin to be set free. As this becomes a practice in our lives, we begin to give more and more of ourselves over to God and we're transformed into the likeness of Jesus and also into the likeness of this Macedonian church. We become people who are not constrained or bound by earthly mindsets, but we're set free by God's love for us. God can turn us from being people who are self-preoccupied to people who are desperate, like this church was, to meet the needs of others. Don't we all want a little bit of that? So finally, what I think we can learn from this group of really generous Christians in Macedonia is that remembering the poor should be our priority. In Galatians 2, verses 9 to 10, it talks about a meeting that Paul had with Barnabas, Peter, James and John to talk about what the gospel really is, what it really means. Paul had become a Christian after having lived a very anti-Christian life, you could say. He didn't become a Christian on an Alpha course or in community with other Christians. He had a supernatural experience that awoke him to faith, but he was actually isolated when he became a Christian. He then went away and spent some time in Arabia and reflected on his experiences and started meditating on some Old Testament scriptures. And his belief in Christ began to grow and grow in this time and he learned the truth of Jesus. He then had a desire to share this good news of Jesus and preach it to people. But he kind of realised, hang on, I don't want to be a loose cannon when it comes to preaching. I've been on my own all this time. I want to make sure that what I'm saying is actually right. So he travels to Jerusalem to have this meeting with the big dogs, Peter, James and John, so that, like I said, they could come into agreement about what their mission really was. It says, James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So of all the things Paul could have chosen to highlight about what the gospel is, in this meeting they came to an agreement that it was remembering the poor. And this was actually a very Jesus-like thing for Paul to have done. So it turns out he did have the right idea about what the gospel was. He'd hit the nail on the head. It's clear when we read the gospels that Christianity is not for the self-sufficient. It's not a religion for the rich and the strong. Jesus didn't come to comfort the well-to-do and rally those who have their lives in order. Jesus came for the poor in so many ways. So remembering the poor was extremely important to Jesus, and so surely this means it should be an essential part of our lives too, as people who are devoted to God. Recent statistics have shown that roughly one in four children in Greater Manchester are growing up in poverty, and and many of you guys here, who are part of our church family, who are teachers or social workers or, or youth mentors, will be able to testify to the fact that this is true. You'll be coming across some of these kids in your schools and workplaces. The number of food banks and other providers supporting people on low incomes just to meet basic needs has also doubled in Manchester over the past five years. It's occasionally not a bad thing to read up on what the stats are like in the city that you live in because it can be all too easy just to get by living in our own bubble of comfort and we can get by blissfully unaware of what is going on in our world and even on our own doorstep. 
Or perhaps poverty has actually been a reality that you've lived. Maybe it's something that you equally don't really want to dwell on for that long, let alone give money away. Humanly, it's actually not natural for us to be outward focused or have the poor as our priority. As I said earlier, we are kind of by nature takers and not givers. But what we see in this passage is that the poor became a priority and a passion for Paul and the Macedonians, not just because they were really exemplary Christians, but this generosity flowed from having hearts that had been affected by the gospel. In verse 2, it says, Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Being exposed to the true gospel was what made their eyes be open to the needs around them, and they wanted to give away. The story I told at the beginning about that couple, Sharo and Alexis, who started the charity Hope for Communities, is a perfect example of people whose hearts have been affected by the gospel, and it meant that their eyes were open to the needs around them. They saw that there were so many families in this Kurdish part of Iraq who were displaced and traumatised, and so they felt the need to move uh, and, and, and help meet this need. Same with the Oasis Centre. Victoria Armstrong, who's a member of CCM, um, she started up the Oasis Centre. And you can go and ask her the story of how that happened. But similar to these, these Macedonian Christians, her heart had been transformed by the gospel first, and then out of the overflow of love, she saw a need and felt moved to give. It's not just that these people are good Christians, although they are great. It's that their hearts have been affected by the compassion of God. So we've seen that this church became generous because firstly they understood that their money belonged to God. They gave themselves to God wholeheartedly. And finally, they recognised that loving the poor was what the gospel called them to do. As I said at the beginning, Give Big is going to be happening over the next couple of weeks. And as a church, we want to be similar to this group of Macedonian Christians. We want to be a church like them, don't we? We want to give and have faith like these guys did, even in the midst of their difficulties, even in the midst of a financial crisis. So you can give uh, through online banking and you can find the details for this on these fancy new giving cards that Ian has designed for us that are at the back. Um, You can also give into the offering bags that go around. But most importantly, I just want to encourage you this week just to start to pray and think about what you could give. A bit like my friend did that I shared earlier. Just She asked God the question, Lord, this money is yours. Here is my situation. What do you want me to do with it? We don't want to be people who give out of obligation or guilt, but we want, to, we want this to be a journey that we go on with God. So let's allow him to speak to us this week and challenge us um, as a church.